Welcome to the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast, episode number 70. This is our Q&A episode six. This is our six Ask a Black Belt segment, our uh, favorite and only reoccurring segment on the Beyond Jiu-Jitsu podcast. Yeah, unfortunately, we we no longer have the synchronized like episode 70, Ask a Black Belt, episode seven, seven, because we missed it. Uh, Episode 50 was our, yay, half century. This episode sucks. Although I've had quite a few people tell me they listen to it. And they're like, man, that episode was super funny. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it was a bit bit different. It definitely put the beyond in beyond jujitsu. But without further ado. Have we received any? No, we haven't yet. A while ago, I... On one of the episodes, I said, "Oh, if anyone has any requests for episode, episode 100, 100 no, we haven't received any. Yeah, I, don't think I anyone's thought someone us would up. be like, you know, oh, I don't know, you yeah. guys get this. drunk or yeah. eat this or yeah, I don't know. Well, once we get closer, I'll definitely put out some polls on our Instagram, which is at uh, Jitsu underscore podcast, and our YouTube. So let's get straight into these questions we have a whole host of questions to go through today thank you so much to everyone who submitted their audio questions do they send them via audio they send them via audio that's you're about to hear them (laughs) (laughs) he's already heard them okay so first question is from pedro hey guys so consider a, a, a new blue belt that already has a game but a short game should that blue belt invest in tuning his short game or invest on adding new tools to the tool belt? Thanks. Excellent question. Over to you, Adam. Yeah, thanks, Pedro. Thanks for for the question. Uh, I'm assuming what you mean by a short game is a limited game, like you've got your A game, your your short game being your sort of go-to moves, techniques, or whatever. And it is a good question. the classic, it depends, right? Uh, <laughs> what do you want to do with your jujitsu? At the end of the day, it, it's it's your training and it's what you want to get out of it. Uh, my, if in short answer, mine, my advice would be uh, add more tools to the tool belt. But yeah, it depends. So if, if you're saying like, hey man, you know, I think I want to teach jujitsu one day, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, you got to add more tools to the tool belt. You're never going to be specialized in everything, but you know, to think that you would want to teach jujitsu. And if someone said, oh, can you show me a spider guard sweep? And you're like, uh, uh, ask that guy, yeah. right? You know, <laughs> uh, but you know, are you a blue belt who is currently wanting to compete a lot and be super active in competition. And most of the really good guys are almost obsessive compulsive about the the particular thing they do. And they develop that, to use your words, short game to, you know, beyond belief. Yeah, like they, they go, sub, sub-specialize. Yeah, like they specialize like, in that little niche of the sport. Yeah, and then even one little detail, then they, like, it's like the most crazy mind map of just like one technique, you know. Mm. I'll always give the example of like bearing bolos. Man, it's not like, oh, they've just gotten crazy good at one variation of a bearing bolo. Man, it's just... They go down and like you can ask yeah. them any like the they most hey this if, this yeah. happens in one in a million roles yeah. but what do I do when this happens and they'll be like oh yeah you do this you know because they've gone to that one in a million yeah. detail you'd know that concept if you've seen enough BJJ instructionals you can have like an eight nine hour instructional on one specific guard and you're like how. But yeah. then you watch it and they have every single what if scenario possible. Yeah. Like what yeah. if this and then three variations? What if that? And then another three yeah, or four variations. Yeah, that's it as well because, yeah, that'll yeah. be a what if. And the, the answer will have multiple like, well, if they do this, you could do this yeah, or exactly. this or this. The, and then, like, then like there's a what map. if on those next you know, scenarios. The concept that you talk about with the mind map and the branches, like yeah, that's a good way to forever, visualize it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we have a student, Ollie, who likes to mind map stuff. For they're me, brilliant. that just sounds yeah. like the most daunting task ever. Oh, they're really, really interesting. Yeah. Particularly if you're like, because I'm doing a lot of what he's doing at the moment. Uh, like we're, we're doing, well, I'm, I'm sort of following him a little bit. And he's shown me like mapping out the techniques that we're learning. I'm like, holy shit, this is like visualizing it is so powerful. Yeah. But anyway, back so, to Pedro. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I hate to say it depends, Pedro, but 
you know, if, yeah, if you put it like that, if you're wanting to be a competitor, there's no point, there's no harm spending like a good amount of time just specializing and subspecializing because by default, you're other tools will get added to the belt anyway because other things will come up. If you're sub-specializing in, I don't know, in passing or whatever, there'll come a time where all your teammates start sweeping you and mm. you're going to be forced to add some guard tools to your belt. Mm. So by default, you're going to add more tools to the belt. The reason I say my advice would be to add more tools to the belt, well, I mean, I've passed my competitive years and I'm now old and useless and, you know, more of an, lean more towards being an instructor. So I want to know more things, but it's also for me, what I find the most enjoyable, you know, if, if we're talking about playing a video game, like street fighter or something, I'm not one of those people who, you know, played the same character all the time and only ever played that character. I'll play one for a little while, then get bored with that character, do a different one. And my jujitsu is kind of similar. You know, I like to have fun with my jujitsu and I always want it to be like fun and new. And, you know, I get, for lack of a better word, I get bored doing the same techniques. You know, I could, I would really struggle to, you know, of course I have my A game if I'm going to go compete, you know, but as a whole, in terms of just what brings me happiness, training jujitsu, it's the variety and the doing lots of different stuff. And I would add my two cents in here and say the more you understand jiu-jitsu as a whole, the better you'll get at your specialization because you'll understand what your opponent's doing. Because you like that's a they, good point. They, they as say well. the best way to shut down any sort of technique is to understand the technique, right? Yeah. If yep. you know, if you're really, really good at Delaheva, and then all of a sudden you're in someone's Delaheva, you know what they're trying to achieve. You know the objectives, you know the counters, so you'll be able to counter the counter. And then we get into like that whole chess match where it's like, you know, you know what they know, but they know you know. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it goes from there, right? So, I mean, my perspective on it is to, and this is from the advice you've given me, uh, for context of those who don't know, I'm, I'm a competitor. I focus on my A game first and foremost, particularly when we're coming up to a big comp but also I am trying to add more A games, right? Trying to add a B game, trying to add a C game. So I have backup and I have redundancy and I have like different strengths in different areas. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Pedro, that that's not just like a very clear do this Mm. because so much of jujitsu does depend, but, but yeah, think about it like that. I mean, as a blue belt, you're still at such an early stage of your development as well as a jiu-jitsu practitioner mm. that, I mean, you could be a purple or, or brown belt before you settle into what becomes your, your game. game. Yeah. A perfect example is Marcelo Garcia, known as one of the best pound-for-pound fighters of all time and particularly known as being incredibly good in no-gi, uh, like ADCC and, you know, none of his positions or whatever requiring requiring gi grips and all that stuff. He never really even trained no gi until brown belt. Wow. Right. So uh, plenty of time for you, you know, so if you specialize just in the one thing at blue belt, I'm not saying it's a wrong thing to do because I know blue belts who do it and have gone on to become incredibly successful, even, you know, as competitors and instructors, Mm. but there might be something you haven't learned or played with yet that you might fall in love with or be naturally gifted at. And if you don't try it, how are you going to know? Awesome. Okay, next question from Vincent. Hey, Kieran and Adam, big fan of the show. Um, I just wanted to ask you, so what strength and conditioning exercises do you incorporate into your training program so that you can optimize your BJJ performance? Thank you. Love the show. This is an excellent question, Vincent, and it just so happens that I've been doing a lot of work in this space currently. I'm uh, I'm working on something that I'm not ready to announce yet, but it's, it's going to come soon. So strength and conditioning for jiu-jitsu. When we talk about strength and conditioning, basically we're talking about getting strong and getting cardio fit or conditioned for jiu-jitsu. Now, there's a lot of different theories in the, the S&C for sport space. And what I mean by that is you see a lot of specific training for sports, 
like you've probably seen on, or you may not have, but there's there's videos on the internet of like pro baseball um, players, like doing very specific, like throwing exercise where they have these crazy contraptions and they're like throwing a weight up like a slider and, and you know, swinging like a bat that's connected to a weight. And Oh yeah, I saw that video recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah the one yeah, that yeah. really got popularized. Oh, was that the one, sorry, I might be thinking of a different one, but maybe the same contraption like a javelin. Yeah, 100% yeah, yeah, javelin, yeah. like that so throwing arm. big thing on this yeah. massive slide crazy. with a weight. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of research in this field and a lot of different opinions. And I want to just be upfront that some experts in this field say that it's bullshit, that that sort of like uh, specific training doesn't really translate because it it doesn't replicate the movement and it puts you in obscure positions that don't really translate as well. So the best concept is to develop the uh develop your your muscle in a different way so that your the system is more integrated like your you can strengthen the entire system therefore it will respond to the stimulus of sport right mm-hmm. so we have this another concept and then I'll bring it and simplify it at the end but we have this other concept called uh, the, the said principle SAID or specific adaptation to impose demands basically that means that your body will adapt to the demand you put on it now, this can work for us and against us when it comes to jiu-jitsu. Let's, let's just put it into practical sense and, and give you a real-world example. In the gym, if you want to do a specific movement for jiu-jitsu that you see on the mats all the time, maybe take a uh, Turkish get-up, for example. For those that don't know, a Turkish get-up is holding a kettlebell, starting on the floor, laying on your back, holding a kettlebell above you and standing up with that kettlebell. It's pretty much a technical stand-up, exactly. holding a weight up above your head. 100%. That's yeah. Not pretty much what it is. That's what That's it is. That's exactly what it is. It's a technical stand-up with, with a uh, kettlebell above your head. So if you did that, that movement in the gym consistently, guess what? When it comes to the mats, if you find yourself in that position, you'll be freaking strong in that technical stand-up position. And, and if no one's ever done that to you, it, it's, it's very effective. It, it can be very, very strong to s- sit up from guard. However, I will caveat everything I'm saying that in, in my personal opinion, the best training to support your jiu-jitsu off off the mats is the training that you're willing to do the training that you enjoy doing and the training you want to do so when it comes to strength work for jiu-jitsu do the strength work that you enjoy doing and that you're going to do consistently if you just froth and everything and you don't care you're willing to go through anything to get better at jiu-jitsu then i recommend structuring your training around the big compound lifts Compound lifts are your squats, your your deadlifts, and variations of pressing. So for jiu-jitsu, bench press is not necessarily the, the best, but there are variations of the bench press like floor press, like kettlebell presses, dumbbell presses that are a bit better. Okay, so focus your workout around those. And I'll, I'll even add in uh, pull, so a, a heave. So I know deadlifts are pull, but I'd add in a body weight style heave or a weighted heave. So that's an overhand pull up for those that are uninitiated. So focus your program around those four and then everything on top of that should be accessories to support either your jiu-jitsu directly, such as a Turkish get-up, your core strength and your grip strength. I coupled those together and other accessory work to strengthen the, the big four. Because if you strengthen the big four, again, those are squats, deadlifts, some form of pressing and your overhand heaves, then your jiu-jitsu will get better because you will be stronger. Now, this question didn't specifically talk about mobility, but I highly recommend incorporating mobility into that as well. You can do weighted mobility work such as Cossack squats, other forms of of weighted mobility, but yeah, so that's how I structure my programs. Focusing on the big four, having accessory work to support the big four, and then having core and grip work and uh, mobility, weight-based mobility work to support your your functional movement and to support your grip strength and core strength, which should not be neglected. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah. So, yeah, my my two cents to that would be, yeah, more leaning to what you said of the the best programs, the one you're going to do, mm. and you know whether it's you like doing it or you don't like doing it or you don't have a lot of time to do it. Right. Uh, some you know, there's some strength and mobility programs and whatever that are like, oh, you know, you're going to do this and it, you, you're going to work out, you know, do three to four sessions a week, blah, blah, blah. And maybe you're thinking, well, I only have three to four sessions of jujitsu a week. Like, 
because of my life and schedule. So mm. I don't have time to do three or four S and C. Then I'm just doing, I may as well do CrossFit because I'm not even doing jujitsu anymore or yeah. whatever. Right. So, you know, you can't have it all right. You, you're not going to be as strong and flexible and mobile as a gymnast and have time to do jujitsu. Right. So you've got to, you know, you got to kind of. You got to remember the goal, right? The goal is to incorporate strength training to support to the jujitsu. Jiu yeah. yeah. So for me, if it's not, there's only, there's only like probably actually no, pretty much none. If, if it's not really directly translatable into jujitsu, I don't, I don't have time for it. I don't do it. So like you said, bench press useless for jujitsu, but like dumbbell press and things like that, like mm. dumbbell press is great. Just simply the fact that, you know, you're then having to hold the weight on an individual like arm, mm. right? It's not supported by the one bar. It's this much more dynamic uh, press where you're using much smaller muscle, not, not smaller, you're using the same muscles, but like you've got to stabilize that weight, right? Mm. Uh, your wrist mobility and your forearms and all that stuff makes it considerably harder than a regular bench press, right? Uh, deadlifts are great. It's pretty much the same as standing up in someone's closed guard, right? Mm -hmm. And especially when they sit up with you, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Renegade rows I really like is a great pulling action that could be very similar to doing a knee cut and pulling on someone's sleeve so they yeah. can't get their elbow to the mat. Uh, also anything, kind of anything with resistance bands. When you think about jujitsu, everything you do is resistance. Whenever you pull on something, it's pulling back. Whenever you push on something, it's pushing back, right, as, as a whole. Obviously, sometimes people don't pull back and they just fall flat on their face. But generally – every single push or pull you do in jiu-jitsu is met with resistance, right? So I think bands are a very good way just to in incorporate it. Yeah, very cheap as well. And very you can cheap. simulate very heavy weight with like minimal material. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I keep it very sort of, I'm not following some structured professional strength and conditioning program that I'm doing this six-week cycle and I'm mm. doing four sessions a week or whatever. No, right? That's that's not what I do. It's not what I have the time for. Even if I had the time, I probably wouldn't do it because I hate strength and conditioning personally, right? So everything uh, you said is now null and void. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just gonna do the the things that I directly see it translate to my jujitsu, and I get quicker gratification. Yeah. Right. Like when I am deadlifting and doing Turkish get-ups and stuff. I, you know, not instantly as in I do a Turkish get-up, then I go roll and I go, wow, I'm stronger, yeah. right? But like, you know, I instantly see the benefits in my jujitsu. I, I instantly feel stronger in There's some movements positions. you can do that you may not see them as directly like, oh, this is unrealistic for jujitsu or what have you. But then you need to look at it through the, the eyes of like, if it's strengthening the system, then it will strengthen you on the mats. For example, there may be some movements that like isolation movements or, I mean, it's a poor example because it does directly translate, like take a, I don't know, a glute bridge, for example. You might be thinking, oh, how does this, I'm never going to bridge like this. But if you're strengthening your ability to generate power through that range of motion, yeah, it's going to translate. Yeah. But I, I totally agree with what you're saying doing a whole bunch of bench press or doing like a six week cycle on just bench press may not be the best way to strengthen your body for jujitsu, but I digress. Yeah. And you just like your big chest, bro. You just Mate, like love it. bench press. Yeah, definitely. So key takeaway, focus on the big four, build accessory movements to support the big four and then have core, uh, core and, and grip strength and other uh, weighted mobility movements to support your your movement as a human. You know, you need to be moving through your natural ranges of motion. Get strong there. So yeah, that's what I recommend. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's move on to the next question from Sky. Hi. Um, thanks for letting me ask a question. I have just started as white belt um, BJJ practitioner and. Um, I come from an extensive background of martial arts, but not in anything, in my opinion, relevant to BJJ. I consider myself to be a genuinely genuine beginner. Um, one of my questions is, I've told my instructor, but do I need to tell the other girls in my class or or not? I'd really rather just keep it private. I don't really think it's relevant and I don't want to be seen to be, um, you know, not there to learn something new and 
um, to say what I've done in the past. Your advice would be appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, awesome I, question. Yeah, thanks, Sky. I get where you're coming from. Uh, I, short answer would be, yeah, I don't think you need to tell anyone. Uh, just by the sound of, you know, you saying that you don't think any of your previous experience translates or has anything to do with jujitsu, so it's irrelevant. Uh, yeah, so there's that makes me think that you haven't really done any grappling before. So, yeah, you don't you don't have to tell anyone at all. If they ask, you might want to tell them because depending on what you've done, let's say you come from a striking back background or a more traditional martial arts background like Aikido or Kung Fu or something like that, uh, you'd be surprised that how much just your coordination and your being in tune with your own body and stuff, how far that can take you in jiu-jitsu. But that's not any skill that you can't, you know, if you came from a – I don't know, a skateboarding background or a surfing background or breakdancing or Mm. ballet or whatever, any sort of sport that requires a huge amount of coordination and muscle control and things like that, those same skills would help you in jiu-jitsu. 100%. Depending on what martial arts you've done, you know, you might find like, I don't know, maybe you roll with someone and they turn to you and say, man, have you done something before? Are you really a white belt? Right? then okay, maybe you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've done a bunch of whatever in the past. Mm. But if you if you generally – even if that's the case, you don't have to I would just it. generalize and say, oh, sporting background. You yeah, know. you don't have to say anything. You could have a wrestling background that would translate. You don't have to tell them. But then if, you know, you beat the crap out of them and they go, man – You rock up with man, Matt Collins yeah, yeah. and you're at NCAA. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> no, man, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you smash them and they're like, Sky, you're not – you shouldn't be a white belt. You're like, oh, yeah, I used to wrestle. But, like, you don't have to tell them off the bat. And, you know, like I did – my first martial art I did was a martial art called Hapkido and none of it translates to jiu-jitsu other than coordination and how to tie you know, your belt. How to, how to tie my belt. Yeah. But yeah. Coordination and belt tying and understanding my left and right. And, you know, but none of it, no, no other aspect of it translates. Wait, serious question. Do they do us in Hapkido? No, they don't do us. Yeah. <laughs> is they, they haven't earned it. They, they haven't, haven't earned, earned the right. rights. I don't tell anyone that I've done Hapkido. Like I remember when I first started jujitsu, I told the instructor, but I was, you know, I didn't know it had nothing to do with jujitsu. I just said, oh yeah, I, you know, I used to do this. And, but you know, in, in hindsight, he was probably just like, yeah, whatever, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, guy, don't worry about it. You don't have to tell them. Uh, yeah, you're if, not obligated or anything. You're not obligated. Absolutely if not. if you're demolishing everyone and people are asked, you know, we've weapon, got man. we've got a guy, fucking Eric. If you've listened to enough episodes, you've heard us say, fuck Eric. Fuck right? Eric. Eric's a white belt. You would if you rolled with him, you would swear he's done something before. He's way better than a white belt should be. But no, he like he's done basketball. He's an ex-professional basketball player, but he has zero other mm training in any martial art. He's very tall. He's very strong. He's very coordinated. Yeah. So let alone he's done nothing that is a martial art, let alone anything that's relevant to jujitsu, yet he's just naturally gifted. So, you know, and on the flip side, some people are going to have wrestled in school and still suck at jujitsu. So you don't have to tell them anything, Sky. If someone asks, that's up to you whether you tell them or not. But, yeah, you might just say, oh, yeah, I did a little bit when I was a kid or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But otherwise, Absolutely don't, no obligation. don't stress about yeah. it at all. Next question is from Nick. Hey, guys, big fan. I was wondering if you had any advice on how to get the most out of training or balancing a pretty busy work schedule. Um, turning up to a training session every night usually 10, 15 minutes late and oftentimes pretty tired. So if you had any tips on, uh, you know, how to best sort of approach training and nutrition-wise, I'd be uh, pretty keen to hear. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, that's that's a tough one. That is, is, that yeah. is That is very tough. That's something that, you know, I'm experiencing at the moment and we're just talking about it offline. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I think everyone goes through periods where they're, incredibly busy i think the you need to address it as a air quote problem if it's you know long periods right if it's consistent 
So I, I've got a little bit of advice and then I'll, I'll hand it over to the, the expert. But I think one thing that I've, I would suggest is carving out the time that you can, as in picking the days that you, that you can train and then doing everything you can to get there, if that makes sense. So if, for example, your schedule allows three days a week of training, just be consistent as you can with those three days a week. If you can do more, do more. But those three days are like gospel. Just carve it out in stone and, and you know, do whatever you can to get there. Train hard and then maybe maybe that means cutting down. So maybe if you're someone that trains six times a week, maybe you need to back off to four and then have more dedicated, more specific, more uh, engaging, more focused. You're more present on the mats for those four. I'd argue that those present four sessions that are, you know, hard, tough, you know, you give it your all, would be better in the long run than doing six uh, less present sessions, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then I'll talk about I'll talk about nutrition uh, in a moment. Yeah, because you could obviously, yeah, I was going to say <clears throat> things you can do nutrition wise and sleep wise t- to help. Uh, yeah, it, it's a very hard question to answer because there's a lot of variables. You know, uh, don't know. You know, so we can sit here and say, make sure you leave work at this time, and you know. I don't know what you do. For, maybe you're a doctor and you're like, well, man, I'm in surgery saving lives. I can't. Or maybe you're like, you know, no, yeah. man, I can't. I got to pick the kids up from school yeah. and traffic. So obviously there's everything with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. those things. But yeah, my my advice would be very similar to what Kieran said, but I would even take it a step further. You know, when he said carving it out in stone, oh, I train three times a week. You should be, it will help in my opinion, if you make those certain two, three days a week specific to the day, like the actual class. So instead of just saying I train three times a week, no matter what, no, no, no. I train Monday nights at six. I train Wednesdays at seven in the morning and I train Thursdays at seven in the morning. And those three times are non-negotiable, Yeah. right? The same way that it's non-negotiable that, you know, you go to work Monday morning at 9 a.m. Yep. or whatever, you got your nine to five job, right? It's like, no, like it doesn't matter if, you know, if the dishes need to be done or whatever. It's like, well, no, no, I've got to go, like, I've got to go to work. Yeah. If I'm not there at nine, like, I get in shit. Yeah. I know that's easier said than done. Take that with all the other variables of your life as well. But for, you know, not only for your mental health and physical health, but for your progression as a jujitsu practitioner. And two, three times a week, set in stone, non-negotiable. When I moved to Brazil, obviously a different circumstance because I moved there for jiu-jitsu. But any job, in like the first year I was there, I just trained. Then I ran out of money <laughs> and I needed to get a job to help um, pay rent and, and training fees and everything. But I, any job interview I went for, I, like it was non-negotiable. I was like, no, no, like I... I can't work at these times because they were my training times, you know, I, and there were plenty of jobs I didn't get because I refused to, you know, work it in those hours. Mm. Again, different scenario, but it was much easier for me when it was like, this is non-negotiable the same way that bloody, okay. This part of, of Sydney is a very highly Jewish area and they have, I'm not Jewish and I don't know much about uh, the religion, but they have a, it's uh, Shabbat, which is like a thing that goes from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown where depending how orthodox you are, like they don't do anything. And it's just like it's set in stone, bro. Like mm. it doesn't matter, like unless it's a life or death situation. It's like, no, 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 like, man, no, like, no, there's yeah. nothing. You can't get me to work on that day or you can't get me to do this or that. Like if you have it as non-negotiable, it makes it much easier for you to turn up and it makes it much easier for you to say no to someone when they yeah. ask you to do something like that falls in that time. Yeah. hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. That help again. I don't want to, I don't, in case, you know, poor. Don't take this Nick to the sit, extreme. Yeah, like if your house sit, is on fire. Yeah, <laughs> sitting there going, Oh, easier said than done. Yeah, yeah I know. Well, yeah, right? of course but, it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if that works, but as a general statement, that would be, that would be my advice. So leaning into the second part of that question that was sort of tacked on the end, but I think is really important is any sort of nutrition concepts that can assist with this. Of course, I will say this on record that if your nutrition is on point, like if your nutrition is dialed in, 
if you're eating really, really well for your body type, for your goals, et cetera, et cetera, all the caveats, you know, on, on top of that, you will have so much more energy. You'll be, be, you'll be performing better at work. You'll perform better on the mats. Your life will be better. Absolutely can say that wholeheartedly, 100%. If you've done that and you think, hang on a minute, that's bullshit. I don't feel better. Well, you're probably on the wrong, wrong diet, right? You're eating the wrong food. So obviously those caveats are there, but there's, it's just, you can't argue it, right? Another point that Ads mentioned um, just before is sleep. Sleep is is incredibly important. And let me let me try to for those that haven't heard this concept before or you know heard anyone talk about this. I just want to spend a little bit of time here when it comes to recovery. Like let, let's just use the analogy of weightlifting because it's the exact same applies to jujitsu. But let's use weight and uh, the the weightlifting analogy because it's a little bit easier to conceptualize. When you go to the gym and lift weights, it's not the time at the gym that you're getting stronger. You're actually getting weaker at the gym, right? As your workout progresses, you can lift less and less weight because you're tearing down your muscle. You're introducing micro tears into the, 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 the muscle bellies, right? It's the period of time that you're not spending weightlifting, that you're recovering, that you're actually getting stronger, that you're actually getting better. So if you reduce or compromise or you know, do anything to affect your recovery time, that's going to greatly hamper your progression. So it's really important, obviously, to train jiu-jitsu. It's really important to be there because you're not only, you know, learning through the the skill of doing and and it's a fucking tough workout. You're also learning concepts. You're, you're learning other things too. But it's the time that you spend off the mats that is just as important to recover. And a big part of recovery, a very, very significant part of recovery is sleep. So I, I mean, we could do a whole episode on sleep. I know we've spoken about that. We are going to do it. It's a little bit off the beaten track when it comes to jujitsu. So we, we, we're trying to fit it through, fit it into our schedule, but there definitely will be a episode on sleep at some point. And if you're interested in that, let us know and we'll, we'll move it up the, the queue. Um, but yeah, sleep is incredibly important. So just like Adam was saying that, you know, carve your, your jujitsu sessions out in stone and they're non-negotiable, you should treat your sleep the same way within reason, obviously, but treat your sleep the same way. So there's another, there's another quick saying that I just want to sort of end this with is that you should treat yourself like you're uh, responsible for taking care of someone, right? So treat yourself like you are someone you're responsible for taking care of. And if you, if you have that approach to self-care recovery and your, your scheduling, then things not necessarily become easier, but I don't know, become easier, I suppose. I'm worried for my sister because her cats are super fat. So if that's, if, that, if that's how she looks after something that she's taking care of, I'll be like, oh no. Yeah, yeah. And that analogy actually, it's commonly used, uh, expanded on, and uh, talk about pets. So I mean, you can you can judge you can judge someone by the way they take care of their cats. Oh uh, good. Yeah. So uh, hopefully that that helps, bro. I mean, I yeah. I, I know. You could get way more specific mm. about uh, sleep, nutrition, yeah. and, and which we whatever. can. We definitely and can, and I, I will. I will also say, cut yourself some slack as well. At the end of the day, like, if but you could also go back. Let's give one last sort of tip, Nick. How to get the most out of it? Let's say uh, you're doing all this, but it's still mm. tough. Uh, oh God, what episode was it? And only recently we talked about. Um, Hang on, I'll bring it up for you, bro. It might actually already be. See, yeah, episode 65, how to break through your jiu-jitsu plateau. Uh, so yes. you, a lot of the advice in that would be applicable where it's talking about having structured goals for your mm. training, similar to a weightlifting program, working on you know, a certain whatever for one month, for six weeks. Yeah. That's going to help you see and feel progress as well. Yeah. So like uh, – if that, if what we just said makes sense and you haven't listened to episode 65 yet, have a listen to that and that's going to help you get more out of your training. Yeah, so cut it down, carve them in stone, work on your nutrition and recovery. And uh, if you do all of those things, obviously you need to manage your own workload, but hopefully we can maximize the time that you can give to, you know, the sport that you love. And that's the, you know, that's the goal here, right? Yeah. Okay, so that being said, let's uh, move on to the next question from Sean. Hey guys, hey Adam, Karen. This is Sean Sprague. Um, I live in the United States and uh, state of Rhode Island. I train at uh, Triforce MMA in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, under Peter Jeffrey and Keith Jeffrey. 
Um, my question is about the protein and the BCAA that you were talking about. Um, I think it was episode 35. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Anyways, uh, so I eat about 140 to 160 grams of protein per day, all from food, not protein shakes or anything like that. Um, and I drink BCAAs in my water throughout the day. Um, I use that mainly to get off of drinking a ton of diet soda and soda in general. Um, and it worked quite well. I don't take an actual EAA. So I'm wondering if that would even be any benefit or not. Um, I do take the magnesium. I take a regular daily vitamin, fish oil, um, creatine. Um, not sure what else off the top of my head, but I take all the basic stuff. Um, so just curious if the EAAs would be worth adding into it where I'm doing the BCAAs and I'm bringing in 140 to 160 grams of protein from food. Um, great show, by the way, and uh, looking forward. Bye. So that uh, question definitely for you, Kieran. That's out of my wheelhouse, but good question, Sean. Thank you. Uh, just for the, the listeners, before Kieran goes into it, Sean had sent through a message that he didn't put there uh, in the audio that he weighs about 107 kilos. Mm-hmm. So obviously the weight and size of you. 235 pounds. Yeah, 235 pounds is going to be important factor to know how much. Yeah, he's a, and he's a healthy get. 235. Yeah, 100%. So off to you, bro. Yeah, so first of all, uh, shout out to Triforce. And thanks so much for following up with the episode. We really like getting follow-up questions from any content that we've previously published. It's, um, it, yeah, we, we love that engagement. So- there's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to try and keep it as succinct as possible, but we're, we are going to get a little bit into the weeds. So when it comes to, first of all, it's great that you're getting most of your protein uh, from food sources. You said 140 to 160 grams of protein per day. Not really part of your question, but I'm going to go there anyway. Um, if you were my nutrition client and I was sort of uh, assessing your macros at a glance without really delving deep into it, I would probably have you on around 230-ish grams of protein um, do with that what you will. That's not medical or official advice. That's just, you know, off the top of my head. And the reason for that is generally speaking uh, for an athlete, someone that is, I'm assuming, is, is as active as you are, you want to aim for around two grams of protein per kilogram or roughly one gram of uh, protein per pound. Now, if you're concerned with like, if you are uh, I'm not saying that Sean is, but just for those listening, if you feel like you have a little bit of excess body fat and um, your weight is a little bit higher than what you would like it or what it should be, um, you know, should air quotes should be, then you can take your lean, uh, your lean f- or your fat-free mass, your FFM instead of your total body weight. And then it, your, the calculation would be more like three grams of um, protein per fat-free mass kilo of body weight. So that's just something to consider and we can we can go into more detail. So that's one thing I wanted to get off um, from the bat. So to your question, when it comes to BCAAs versus EAAs, if you're consuming them as a supplement to support your recovery, to support muscle growth, muscle protein synthesis, then I definitely recommend EAAs. And as Sean mentioned, I think uh, back in our nutrition episode uh, a little while back, we've done a couple now, but I I talk about how I don't recommend BCAAs anymore. The reason is you need to understand what BCAAs are. BCAAs are three of the essential amino acids. There's nine essential amino acids that your body uses uh, to to create muscle. It, It uses more, but the reason that they're called essential is because your body can't make them. It needs to get them through food. So a way to remember it is you. it's essential that you eat them, right? You consume them in some way. Now, BCAAs are three of those. They're leucine, isoleucine, and valine. The reason that this is a supplement is because a long time ago, when they were doing a lot of research in this field, they discovered that these three magic uh, uh, amino acids triggered muscle protein s- synthesis, right? And what they found is it's actually... Um, the the leucine that does most of the heavy lifting here. And they found that these three trigger a high response in muscle protein synthesis. However, and this is a big caveat, as research went on in this field, they discovered that just because muscle protein synthesis process had been triggered does not necessarily mean that it was completed efficiently. So think about it like you start a process, but if you're consuming high level of these three, and not all the nine that you actually need to complete this process, you're finishing it, but you're not necessarily completing it. 
And what can happen, and they've shown in some studies that once your body starts this process, it actually breaks down the amino acids from other proteins in your body, i.e. other muscle, to finish the process because it needs it needs to gain access to those essential amino acids that your body can't make. So it needs to get them from somewhere. So your body can actually catabolize to then anabolize and it's a net negative process, right? So if you're consuming EAAs, you're giving your body all of the essential amino acids that you need, that you require to finish that process and you still have the leucine. Now, what they've also done is in combination with BCAAs, if you ingest something like a whey protein, it can be beneficial. And I think that in, in the studies that I've seen, it was something along the lines of uh, 15 to 20 grams of whey protein with about 12 grams of BCAAs was what they used. And they showed that it was better than just consuming the equivalent protein for whey because you have that big uh, punch of, of leucine to trigger that muscle protein synthesis protein synthesis, but then you have the whey protein and all the aminos associated with that to back it up and finish the process. So that's the concept, right? Now, if you're consuming BCAAs on their own and you're not, uh, like maybe you're in a fasted state, you see this a lot, people use them uh, to curb their appetite in a fasted state. First of all, you're actually breaking your fast. And second of all, what you can do is you can actually spike your insulin levels by consuming this supplement and it becomes a, a net negative process, as in it's it's not as beneficial as you think it might be. However, as with everything, there's always caveats on caveats on caveats. If you're using this supplement to not consume like something like Coca-Cola or other soft drinks and uh, fizzy drinks, then, you know, is it good? It's better, right? It's, it's definitely a better alternative. And I will say that essential amino acids are more expensive than branch chain amino acids. My final recommendation is that you ditch the BCAAs, you have essential amino acids instead, but if you don't want to do that, I would combine both of them, right? If you're sipping on them or combine whey protein with the same. Might not taste great, but you, you might need to manage that. But um, I, would, I would add either whey protein or essential amino acids to that supplement. Also, my recommendation is to only have it on days that you're actually training. I, I wouldn't necessarily sip it throughout the day unless you've already trained that day or plan on training in the evening. And that is a lot of information, but in a nutshell, EAAs are better than BCAAs. BCAAs are only three of the nine essential amino acids. So either include EAAs or whey protein with your BCAAs. And if you can avoid it, probably don't buy BCAAs in the first place. I don't think they're worth it, but if you like them, then I'm not going to tell you what to do. Like you said, better than drinking soda, right? Definitely. Absolutely. I'm glad you were here to answer that because I would have been like, yeah, have them all. <laughs> <laughs> all the A's, man. All, all the A's. Have all the A's. All the A's. Um, yeah, cool. Thank, thanks for sending that in, Sean. We've got, I think we've got time for, for one more and we've got a, a follow-up question from, from Vincent who asked the strength and conditioning question. Yes. So I think we can fit in. He had a second question. Yep. Uh, so let's, let's send let it. that roll. Hey, Kieran and Adam, big fan of the show. Um, my question to you is, how do you prevent cauliflower ear from occurring? Thanks, guys. <laughs> um, just, just embrace it, bro. Uh, <laughs> embrace yeah, the us. Uh, of course. Embrace the collies. Yeah, not everyone wants to have cauliflower ear. Uh, some people definitely don't want it because of what they do for work. It doesn't look good. Uh, well, the simple answer would be training headgear right? I mean, I know some people might pay you out. It's not uncommon for people to rag on you, but man, wrestlers have been wearing headgear mm. forever, right? And they still get colors. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, but you got to think about, firstly, some people are more, you know, genetically likely to get cauliflower ear and others aren't. Why? Well, I'm not a doctor, but a GP told me that how cauliflower works when i first got cauliflower it was explained to me like this that it's when you have trauma to the ear so it's not only like the rubbing of the ear like boxes can get cauliflower ear as well right it's just any trauma that can happen to the ear the cartilage of the ear and the skin of the ear like kind of separate and inflame and it fills with fluid right and that's what that's the fluid that people are draining out of their ear 
if you don't drain that fluid, that fluid then like that kind of clots and solidifies. And that's Calcifies, what, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's what becomes cauliflower ear. If you've never felt someone's cauliflower ear or if you don't have it, like it's, it's rock solid where the colleague forms. Yeah. Uh, Feels cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some people have really – you know, flexible cartilage and whatever Mm. in their ears. So it's almost like no trauma to it will damage it, right? Whereas other people get cauliflower ear really easily because any sort of trauma to their ear damages that cartilage. So that's the first thing. You might be someone who's super likely to get it or have got it or whatever it is. Not much you can do about that. Uh, The second thing to consider is... It also depends on your style of jujitsu. If you are a head heavy pressure passer, you're yeah, someone boy. who does like <laughs> over under passes, shoots double legs, you're in there with your head, right? Uh, you're definitely much more likely to develop trauma to the ear. And as a result, uh, sorry, you're much more likely to have trauma to the ear and as a result, develop cauliflower. Uh, if you're someone who, I don't know, plays guard and never gets your guard passed, as in you never have someone cross-face your head, right? Well, you're probably going to be pretty sweet. So your style also will kind of dictate your likeliness of, of having some type of trauma to your ear. But as a whole, really, if, if you really kind of don't want to go down that route, I mean, you've got to get headgear. I mean, I've trained before with like people who were actors, right? So they always had headgear. They didn't want to get cauliflower ear, mm. you know, or maybe someone who, I know they're a lawyer. They've always got to be in court and stuff. They just don't want that look of cauliflower ear. Like that so, stigma of being like Yeah. A, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's no sort of magical, you know, rub banana peels on your ears on your toes yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) put banana peels on your toes and you won't get cauliflower ear yeah no magic answer unfortunately vincent but um yeah some people headgear would help yeah yeah. your style headgear and your style because you can't do anything about your genetics in terms of whether you got really flexible ears what about if it occurs how to how to reduce the impact yeah so if it occurs uh yeah like i said that fluid if you let it solidify then you're screwed so you've got to drain it pretty much straight away. How do you drain it? Well, you can do it yourself, right? Or like have someone help you, which is by shoving a needle in it and, uh, and draining it out. Mm. It can be a little trickier though. We recently tried to drain Nogi Rob's ear at the gym. And like I've drained a couple of cauliflower ears, mostly my own. And I thought I was quite surprised we couldn't get anything out of it. Mm. And then I said, man, look, I'm sorry, bro. I couldn't get anything out of it. Go to the doctor because a we've like stabbed your inflamed ear like five times with a needle, <laughs> so we don't want it to get infected. Uh, and b like if you if it solidifies, bro, you're then screwed. Mm. If you don't want it, you're then screwed. Mm. And he went to the GP, and they actually said, "Oh, you needed a bigger gauge needle," and we had a pretty big one, and that we needed to kind of move the needle around in the ear to break up the clot mm. so we could drain it. This is definitely not medical advice. No, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not medical advice, right? So really, yeah, what to do if you get it, drain it, go to a doctor, right? Yeah. But you can try yourself yeah. if you want. Fuck it. You can try anything. <laughs> you can try, yeah. <laughs> you can do anything yeah, you, you want. Yeah. Can, I mean, but yeah, there's, I mean, so many YouTube videos of people draining cauliflower ears, yeah. right? Yeah, um, some of them, like, they get a shitload of fluid out of it. It'd yeah, man. Crazy, like, man. But just keep in mind that if you do drain it, let's say you get a, even if you get a doctor to drain it, like any inflammation, the next day there might be more fluid in there again. Mm. I think mm. the reason people do it themselves is A, to save, well, especially Americans, mm. to save medical bills, yeah. right? Because healthcare. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, yeah. But also because if you get a GP to do it, you then might find the next day you need to go back to the GP yeah. because it, like any swelling or inflammation, it doesn't just go away. It takes time to calm down. So then it fills with more fluid and yeah. now you're presented with the same problem. If you really want it to go away, it's like this. The, the cartilage and skin have separated. It's filled with fluid. You want the cartilage and, and skin to heal and stick back together. So you have to keep taking out the fluid Right, mm. so so it can stick back together. Mm. Right, so you take it out, 
sticks together. Well, like it starts being in contact again, but then it fills with more fluid. You got to take it out until it stops filling with fluid. Um, that's cauliflower ear. Yeah. And if you've never had it, I will say that it, it like after it's solidified, after it's calcified and it's hard, it feels great. Like it's fine. But during the the inflammation, it's very, it's very painful. It is like training it with, is with a way yeah. more painful. If you haven't had collie yet, it is Man. way more painful than people think. Oh it yeah. It's super hurts. painful. Like I remember I was going through it last year and I asked you like, what do I do? Rah, rah, you like drain it. And I left it too late. Uh, it wasn't that bad, you know, but it was very painful. And you're like, well, you got, you got two options. You can either put something on your head, wear headgear, or you can not train. Which one? And I'm like, well, I didn't do either. Yeah. <laughs> I took option three. It was like trade through it anyway. Yeah, or train without headgear. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I fuck mean, it. yeah, it's very painful. My first collie, I, um, my first, my second one was I had to sleep with headgear. I couldn't even put my head on a pillow. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. But mine, mine got infected as well. Yeah, that's bad. That's definitely a, a possible side it? effect of draining it yourself, <laughs> right? It can get infected. So, yeah. Oh, shit. Terrible. <laughs> but uh, I will say thank you so much for everyone to uh, that submitted their questions. People getting on board with the audio questions. We so love, much better. We love so audio better. questions. And, I mean, by the time this episode airs, we probably would have already recorded like up to episode 74-ish. So episode 80 is not that far away from when you are actually listening to this. So if you want to get on board the uh, Q&A train for the next Ask a Black Belt segment, which will be uh, number seven, episode 80, it's coming up quick. You can submit a question to the show via our audio link, which is in our link tree in our our Instagram bio. Our Instagram is at beyondjujitsu underscore podcast. So get amongst that if you uh, want to hear your voice on the show. But yeah, otherwise, thanks so much for the questions, guys. Enjoyed actually hearing the the listeners' questions. And yeah, as Kieran said, episode 80, not too far off. So get amongst it. Stay training, guys. And thank you very much. 